This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 42, sitting here with Echo Charles and DC, Daryl Cooper, guest appearance. I was I was thinking about um, some of the principles of combat leadership that I talk about all the time. One of them is prioritize and execute. And the reason I was thinking about this is because obviously I talk about it a lot from a business perspective. I talk about it a lot from a combat leadership perspective. And sometimes I talk about it from a life perspective. And I think it is, it's, well, not think, I know it's applicable in all those categories. It is absolutely applicable in all those categories. But there's something else that in talking with people and communicating with people, I talk to a lot of people and communicate with a lot of people in a lot of different situations and scenarios. And one of those is I, I talk to people that are dealing with, like a bunch of different issues, sometimes emotional type issues, sometimes traumatic type issues. Mm. And because of, this is interesting, you know, I always say in combat, because of Murphy's Law, all your problems are gonna hit you at the same time. Mm. In business, because of Murphy's Law, all your problems are gonna hit you at the same time. So you're gonna get the client that's mad, the factory that's on fire, the the supply chain that's broken. It's all gonna happen at the same time. Mm. In combat, you're gonna get somebody wounded, you're gonna have a bad head count, you're gonna have uh, civilians, you're gonna have all these things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in life, same thing, you're gonna have your water heater break, you're gonna have your kid sick, you're gonna have, look, all this stuff, Murphy's Law. But this also happens on, a, on an emotional level too. So I talk to people and sometimes I see that they are under an emotional attack. And because of Murphy's Law, it's an emotional attack from multiple different directions. And what I wanted to talk about is the fact that even in those situations, prioritize and execute still comes into play. So when you have multiple emotional traumatic scenarios happening at the same time, this your reaction can be the same as someone messing up on the battlefield. That is, they freeze, they, they, they freeze, they don't do anything, or they try and solve all the things at the same time. Same thing can happen with business. I don't know what to do, what should I focus on? And they don't do anything, or they try and solve all their problems at the same time. Life, the same thing can happen. So when we, as humans, get hit with multiple emotional attacks, or like psychological attacks, you know, it's like you lost your job, you lost your girlfriend, you found out that you've got some sickness that's going on, and all those three things happen at the same time. Look, if one of them happens, you lose your job, you got your girl, you're okay. You lose your girl, you still go to work, you got your job, you're okay. Mm-hmm. But when you lose both those things, that's a huge hit to your, to your emotional stability. And then on top of that, you find out that you're sick. And then on top of that, you know, you're, the, the mortgage is due and now you're a couple days late. So these are like problems, but they're not just, they're not just normal problems. They're emotional problems and they hit you at an emotional level. So in those situations, prioritize and execute still applies. And I've talked some people through this recently who have had some significant emotional challenges going on. And it's the same, it's the same principle. Okay, what is the major cause of your problem? Okay, you've got a bunch of problems going on. You've got this one major significant problem. Let's talk through that problem first. Let's focus on coming to grips with that initial problem. Because you combine six problems, this is how people get overwhelmed. This is how people end up hurting themselves, killing themselves. Because mm-hmm. there's six problems, they, they, they're they just overwhelmed, and they say, I, I can't, I, I'm never gonna get out of this. Mm-hmm. Same thing on the battlefield. You got all these problems going on, no one, leader doesn't know what to do, they freeze, they don't do anything. They think, oh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. So when you have five, six, seven emotional things that are dragging you down, prioritize and execute. Okay, what's the biggest issue that I have right now? How can I start to address that? What can I do to get to a better place with that particular issue? Now, there is, whenever I talk about prioritize next year, I talk about handling the biggest problem first. That is one technique for prioritize next year. There's another technique that is also effective depending on the scenario. Sometimes 
you got 10 problems and you got one, you know, the biggest problem is this, the next biggest problem is that. But you got a couple little straggler problems that aren't that big. Mm-hmm. You can actually go, you know what, I'm gonna get rid of this problem right now. I'm gonna focus on this for the next two hours, get it done, get it taken care of, boom. Then I can go to the problem that's gonna take three hours, get that one off my plate. So you actually can then focus on these big problems that might take you a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month to get solved. But you've gotten rid of some of those smaller problems. So you could do that technique as well. The, the principle is the same as prioritize and execute. Mm-hmm. But the technique is maybe you go after the small problems first or ones that are gonna be easier for you to handle. You know, you, you, you got a sick cat and it's draining you emotionally because your cat's gonna die and it's a problem and you're crying every night. Well, you know what the solution is. Just kill the cat. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, yes. Right? You got, a, you got a cat that needs to be put down. And it's dragging you down. You might need to say, okay, you know what? I, I, I need to do the right thing here. My cat is suffering. My cat has no, there's no medical viable option. I need, to, I need to do the right thing and get my cat put down. Boom. So you get that off your plate. That, that could also be the biggest problem, I mean, in some cases. But the, the point is, it doesn't really matter if you use the first technique or the second technique. You could even just look at, hey, this is the one that I... Here's another way to do it. This is the biggest problem that I'm most scared of facing. Mm. So I am either gonna tackle that one, I'm gonna tackle that problem, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having an existential crisis and I'm afraid to die. Okay, maybe you say, all right, you know what, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna talk to my, fr- I'm gonna read, I'm gonna talk to my friend, you know, Echo, who seems to have a good handle on this kind of stuff, I'm gonna try and overcome this fear. Or maybe you say, you know what, that's a huge problem, I don't wanna deal with that one right now, I'm gonna go to this, other thing that's been bothering me, which is, you know, I don't know if I'm in the right career. So both those things work. Now, the other part of this is, is taking action. Taking action is a, is a starting to move in the right direction. Starting to move starts to solve problems and it starts to solve emotional problems as well. Mm -hmm. When you sit or you lay, you lay down, or you sit, and you stay static, and you don't move, this is not good. Look, are there exceptional times where maybe you need to take a tactical pause and you need to maintain your position for a little while to let a situation develop? Yes, yes, it does happen. Seven out of 10 times, action is going to trump inaction. So let your default mode be, hey, I've got these five or six emotionally draining situations happening, when you're just sitting there, they're continuing to drain. Don't do that. Get up, start to move, start to figure out how you're going to address some of these problems. And what makes it digestible is that instead of looking at the nine problems that you have, which you can't address nine things at once, you can't. You can barely even comprehend nine things at once. But when you look at them and go, all right, I got all these things that are bothering me, what is the biggest, okay, oh, oh my cat is freaking sick. It's been bothering me. All right, I need to address that right now. How am I going to do that? So I, I just wanted to bring that up because I'm always talking about the business aspect, the leadership aspect, the life aspect, the combat aspect. But you're, we are in emotional combat all the time. Mm-hmm. And the principles still apply. Am I even using the right word, Daryl? Is that is that how I, am I describing that correctly? Like this emotional warfare that we get into? Sure. Yeah, you're always battling with yourself. Like one one of the most probably things that influenced me more than anything else years and years ago, I was listening to this sports talk radio show, and the guy had on this woman who was like something like the eleven time woman's uh, marathon champion or long distance running champion. And he asked her a question like, uh, he's like, so, you know, somebody like you, you get out there like on the road every day to go out and train and everything. You just like built differently than other people. Huh? You just get out there and run. And she's like, no. She's like a mile in. That voice is in my head saying, uh, you, your kids, you should be, what are you doing? You should be hanging out with your kids. You've already won 10 championships. Go be with your kids today. Go do this. You know, your knee's kind of sore. You should take it easy. All these voices start coming in. And in a sport like that, that's the war. That's the, the fight. Yeah, the lies. That's the fight. And so, yeah, that war is always there for sure. Yeah, the the emotional, um, like even just just listing, not listing, but identifying the the 
so you consider you have the combat scenario, right? The one, the ones that you always um, kind of talk about or whatever. But emotionally, just identifying, okay, this thing is well, like, why am I snapping at my kids or why am I snapping at my wife right now? Like, if you can identify, oh, it's because my boss talked to me this way or whatever. Just identifying that can solve a bunch of your other emotional problems. That's what a lot of therapy is based on. Really, is just pointing it out. To right. You. Yeah. With his, which is uh, essentially detaching, mm-hmm. as one might say. But, yeah, that's a weird one, right? Because emotions, like, you have – it feels like you don't have control of your emotions, but you do have control of your emotions. Like, a lot of times, like, in, in a battle situation, I would imagine, or just, you know, something that's not emotional, you don't technically have as much control or the same kind of control you do over your emotions. Like, emotions is one of those things where you can – like I said, like, if you identify it or some even someone else identifies it, it'll just solve the, solve your emotional problem or the emotional elements Take of that the problem sting out of it at least yeah, yeah exactly right. which is essentially that's what the emotional problem is it's how you feel about something yeah. i i also was talking to some people about this so if you know if echo if you run into the room right now and you're like hey jocko there's uh the website blew up or you know the we just lost a bunch of product or somebody broke into the warehouse and stole everything I would I would not get emotional, right? And I was pointing out to some people that one reason I'm not gonna get emotional is because I don't want you to think I'm freaking out. Mm-hmm. So wait a second, is that like showmanship? And is that is that like a me sort of acting? Mm. And what I pointed out that was that, well, yes, first of all, because if I'm freaking out in front of Echo, then Echo's gonna start freaking out. Now we got a, like a real problem. Mm. Whereas if I remain calm like I should, then that inspires you to remain calm. It also makes you think, well, this isn't a big deal for Jocko. It looks like he's calm. He's going to make a good decision. Okay, I, I have no problem following this guy. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's probably where I started. Yeah. More, a little bit more manually controlling my emotions. I'm not talking like when I was young. And what initiated me doing that was because I would watch my leaders. And when my leader would fly off the handle, I'd be like, well, that guy, no one wants to follow him. He's an idiot, he looks like an idiot. When I'd see someone calm, cool, and collected, I'd be like, that's what I want to act like. That's what I want to act like. Mm. That's what I want to act like. Well, just like any other habit, as I continued to act that way and pretend like I was calm and pretend like I wasn't freaking out, eventually, I wasn't freaking out, not because I was pretending or not because I was acting, because I had trained myself and formed a habit that when Echo comes in and says, we got a serious issue with the whatever, and I go, okay, well, let me know some, what are the details, what what do we need to do? And so the way that you behave, and you might have to consciously do this in the beginning, eventually it will just become your behavior. It's kind of like if I'm going for an arm lock on you, you don't consciously think, oh, I need to turn a little bit to my shoulder, get my elbow a little bit further out. You don't think that, you just do it. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, you thought it. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, you oh, oh, I better get my elbow. Mm-hmm. So you can train your mind to get some control over your emotions. It takes time, but you can get there. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right, cool, let's get questions. Sure, questions. First question. I see in these movies and shows that operators are being worn down from fighting all the time and eventually they stop fighting. How much emphasis do operators place on taking care of themselves? Operators that are worn down over time physically and psychologically from battle. Do operators seek out physiotherapy? How much do they value nutrition, rest, recovery? And are they uh, receptive to any therapy for their mental health? Um... So first of all, there's goods. Usually, when you're in combat, there may not be physio, physiological or physical therapy available while you're in combat. Um, when you get home, there, there's, well, in the SEAL teams, we had very good physical therapy available to us when we got off deployment or while we were getting ready to go on deployment. Sometimes overseas, you might not have like readily available physical therapy. Mm. But you've gotten yourself to a point during a workup preparing for deployment that 
you hopefully for that six month period, you don't need a lot of physical therapy because you've learned some stretches to do when your shoulder bothers you. You've got a, a lacrosse ball so you can roll out your back a little bit when you need it. You So you can, you can kind of get yourself through that time. Uh, and this, this whole topic is, is sort of, I think at the forefront of a lot of veteran groups, you know, you hear a lot about this, about the veteran mental health, about um, the what we can do to help people. I mean, we, we just had uh, Micah on from Heroes and Horses. Like, that's what he's fully focused on. And he's one of, I forget, he actually named the number of charities. But there's tons of charities that do this stuff mm-hmm. that are out there to help. Um, so it's definitely in the forefront. But to this particular question, how much do operators place on taking care of themselves? The answer is it's different, yeah. different for every guy. Yeah. There's some guys that are super, they're, they're weighing their food before they eat, even on deployment, right? They're, they're figuring out what their macros are, yeah. right? And they're eating the right stuff and they're taking supplements and all that. Mm. There's some other people that are just, you know, rolling up to the freaking pasta bar and just getting <laughs> their gluten together, right? <laughs> so, so that exists too. There's people that work out a certain way to be big and strong and others want to be flexible. Nothing, some of them just want to be able to do the job and that's it. They're like bare minimum kind of scenario. Mm. Uh, so a lot of this def- de- depends on the individual. I know I only went to physical therapy when I got injured. If I got yeah. injured, I went to physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And then I'd start to heal up and as soon as I was close to heal up, they'd be like going like, hey man, don't, you know, keep coming. And I'd be like, yeah, cool, gotcha. Never see him again. Mm-hmm. Not for another you know, 18 months till I roll my ankle or blow out my shoulder or something like that, then I'm back in there. Mm-hmm. Is that good? No, that's not good. It's better to maintain, do maintenance. Mm-hmm. I was never great at doing maintenance. Uh, but the, in this day and age, because of the extended combat that America has been in, there is, there is definitely much improved physical therapy. There is much improved mental therapy and it's available. So I think we're heading in the right direction. We're still working on it, you know? The the whole, uh, what is it, the stigma, right? The stigma of I don't, you know, I don't need any, uh, I don't need any, I don't need to see any, any shrink. Right, right. I think that has started to disappear. And I think guys are pretty open about those discussions. So I think we're, I think we're in a decent place. I'm sure it could get better. There's also there's also some people that don't need that stuff. Mm. Like, hey, uh, yeah, I went on deployment. It sucked. I'm back now. Cool. Well, oh, hey, I lost some of my friends. That sucks. Sometimes I get sad. And I'm carrying on with my life. Mm. So, and then there's people that, hey, I've lost friends. And that's the only thing I can think about. Mm. Okay, well, let's get you some help so you can get through that. So I think it's a spectrum. Uh, operators. Our people. Do you guys have like, well, I'm talking about when you go on deployment. Like, do you have, okay, when I play football, you go in the training room and mm. there's all kinds of therapy. There's like electric stim, there's ice bath, there's like, you know, massage therapy, friction, like all this stuff. Do you have that kind of stuff or nope. is it just like medical freaking mm. bunk? Would you say bunk? Yeah, you bunk bed. Yeah, bunk. yeah, yeah. Just what you bunk, call it, yeah. right? The bunk? Like I was lucky. I had, a, I had a guy that was... Uh, like a chiropractor who was yeah, a seal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. you know, he would crack our necks and stuff like that. And you know, he he was pretty good at yoga, so he would also say, "Hey, here's a good stretch to do." Yeah. But that if we didn't have him, it would have just been a little bit more suck it up than it was. <laughs> did, did, have you seen the trend online of the chiropractor crack videos? Uh, I believe my daughters have, Bro. my daughters are pretty down with the, like whatever trend. Yeah. They'll know what's up. It makes, right. So, so the chiropractors now, you know, you have a chiropractor mm-hmm. office or whatever. They'll put the little microphone on the, on the person oh, when dang. they're adjusting. Them. Oh yeah. So you can hear it, bro. It's like, you can't stop watching it. Cause it's like, you know what? I think it's like a mental, like addiction kind of trick. You know, when they're about to crack it, then your brain is like, where's that crack? Yeah, and then it cracks, and it's like a satisfying feeling because we all know that feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you want to see the next one. (laughs) You get into that rabbit hole, bro. I'm just saying. 
good but they're fun to watch. Did see. I answer this dude's question? I think I did. Good yeah. to see that you've moved yeah. on from zit popping videos. <laughs> Whatever, man. No, wait, did I say that I watched those before? <laughs> yeah, no, you watched those. That's right. But <laughs> I've seen the, those too. My daughters watched those things, and <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why? Those, Are you serious? Yeah, those you kind of got to have the stomach for that kind of stuff because after a while, it's like you kind of have this gross feeling because it's super close <laughs> up of like zits after getting popped. A while, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> Physiotherapy. It's good, man. The ice bath thing, which I told you I've been got into the cold shower thing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the ice bath to me through text recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I've always thought that Spec Ops teams should ha- be like pro sports teams. They should have like teams of doctors assigned to them. People like if you're one of the if you want your blood drawn every week so you can keep your levels tight on everything. If like stuff like hormones, like you know, like you're talking about guys who are like at the top level of a game where you die if you lose. And so, I mean, performance should be everything, you know. I mean, if to the extent that people, you know, I'm not saying force people to go get, like, you know, testosterone injections, but have a doctor there <laughs> that can, like, monitor these people and say, are you optimal? Yeah, they, you know? and they have some of that. I'm uh-huh. just saying, depending on the unit that you're at, some units may have, like, that. Some units will have it maybe in the rear. Some units might not have it at all, mm-hmm. uh, depending on where you're actually where you're actually stationed at. Yeah, it feels like that, huh? Like they should have the best food too. Everything, yeah. Just <laughs> then there's the thing of like, you know, occasionally guys would have this little discussion and say like, well, if Echo only eats, you know, ultra clean grass-fed chicken mm-hmm. breasts, mm-hmm. no fat, and, you know, one quarter cup of brown rice, and you got this really strict diet, well, then what happens when we go into wherever and there's that food isn't there, and all of a sudden you fall apart. Meanwhile, I'm over here like I'm picking up pieces of dirt and mud, and I'm eating it. I'm good to go. <laughs> there's this old episode of uh, Married with Children where uh, Peg has this personal trainer, or he, a guy who's a personal trainer renting a room from him, I think, and he's there, and he's just everything. You know, quarter cup of brown rice, like the entire thing, and he spends a week with Al Bundy, you know, just drinking and smoking. And then after one week, he's like, they're, like, they're talking to him. He's on the couch and just mid-sentence, he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Is I, Hey, is there any truth to that? I have no idea. I, I think it, it sounds psycho- cool. Psychologically, I think you might have a point, though, mm. where if you're used to, like, functioning and going hard, even, of course, you'd function way better with a better diet. But if you're mentally just yeah. used to just going hard on a sh- junk diet or whatever, and then you compare that f- to being used to going hard on a good diet, and then you go on a bad diet, and mentally you're like, bro, I feel <gasps> yeah. like crap. And yeah, exactly right. You're, you're not used to it. And maybe panic. People, or there's, a, there's a lot of people that don't even know that they feel like shit every day. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. They, just, they, yeah. they actually feel it, but they just felt that way for so long. That's and just they're how, just like, oh, this is how people feel. Exactly right. So, And I make this example out with drinking. So there was a period where I drank. And I didn't have a problem. Like it, I never got DUI, nothing like this, nothing like that. But at home, I would drink every single day. Hmm. The next day, if you drink every single day, you do feel like shit. But after a while, you get used to it. So I wasn't working. I wasn't missing workouts. Sometimes I'd work out like the two days and whatever, just going, going hard, boom, for years. And then after a while, I kind of wise up and be like, why am I drinking every single day? Let's, how about this? How about, let's cut down on the drinking. But the first day I got regular rest, not <laughs> drinking, I was like, bro, this is how normal people feel. And you feel like a superhuman yeah, almost, you yeah. know. But I'm saying, did I feel like a superhuman? No. But comparatively, in my mind, I did. I was just so used to functioning at that lower level from that lower nutrition, we'll say. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of situation where what if I went backwards or that, like a normal person? Normal person would go backwards if they don't drink. But if they drink the next day, they wake up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so hungover. Bro, I'll power I through. I can't work out today. Can't work out. Oh, I'm going to drag myself through work. Bro, I'll power through a hangover so, so easily. But I take a cold shower. I'm not, uh, you don't drink anymore. I don't know if you drink Daryl Cooper, but... Um, if you have a slight hangover, take a cold shower, go for like a run or something, cured, 100%. I used to do the cold shower thing, but at some point along the way, I punked out and mm-hmm. I don't do it anymore. I thought it got easier. I have the ice bath like yeah. at my house. Oh, and yeah. It's freaking legit. Yeah. But nonetheless, I, I feel like that could be a thing. There's probably a lot of people out there that think like somebody like you is just like Jocko doesn't get tired. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't get like any of these things. So, like look at him. He's like a Terminator. I think like it's really important for people to understand it's like that's not how it works like all of those things happen to everybody and it's just a matter of some people accept that that's part of the reality and you got to keep focusing on your next task and working your way through it like one of one of the best experiences I ever had 
um, was just a couple years ago. I was hiking with my friend, and we did a two-day hike. And the first day, we did about like seven or eight miles, a few thousand feet of elevation, and I jacked my knee up. And the way that we had gone, you know, we didn't want to double back. It was like 22 miles of like pretty legit up and down hiking um, to get back. And my knee, when I woke up, I could hardly even move it. And about an hour or two into the hike, I was like, I, they're going to call a helicopter from your side. There's just no way I'm making it out. But I made it out because it turns out that, like, unless something, you know, is just physically broken or you have, like, a serious mental illness, say, that, like, you know, so your mind is broken, that you can actually just keep putting one foot in front of the other and accomplishing shit, like, way past what you probably think your limit is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh – probably one of the main goals of basic seal training Mm -hmm. is you will get to a point and it doesn't take long like in hell week (laughs) you're gonna get to a point where you cannot do anything else like so you've been doing hell week for let's call it four hours five hours i mean you exercise echo charles there's exercises that you could do where in four hours of that exercise, you know you can't do anymore. And guess what? You can. That's all my exercises. And by the way, you can, and you can do it for the next five days <laughs> without sleeping. Yeah. So yeah. it's a good lesson to learn. That's one of the lessons that you learned in, in basic SEAL training is, oh, yeah, this is I can, I can do another rep. Mm. I can do another one after that. Mm. I, I can do another one after that. I can keep... And some of it, literally, the rep is a step forward. Mm. Like, hey, you're, you can take one more step. Mm. Yep, you can. You got a boat on your head. You got a rucksack on your back. Whatever. I'm going to keep going. That's a determined motherfucker right there. Yeah. It's someone who doesn't let distractions in. You know, like that that adage that, like, uh, w- focus on whatever it is that you're doing for as long as you're doing it. Like, and just, that's it. Like, if this is what you're doing, you're carrying a boat, then what your job is to keep that thing overhead and to keep putting one foot in front of the other that's it that's your life right now and um you know it's other things creeping in to start chirping at you and yeah keeping those things out it's a good discipline it's kind of like when you're squatting the 20 rep squat Mm -hmm. or the whatever rep squat where if you hit like let's say you're doing 20 you hit 12 and you're kind of like your legs are like hey we're kind of done for the for this whole thing but if you're like, you hit 12 and you go, you know, let, let me get 13 or whatever. And let's say you get to the 20. You're like, oh, man, I got to the 20. You can, it's way easier to be like, hey, let's just do one more. Let's just do one more. Even above and beyond that 20 mm-hmm. that you struggled through, by the way. But you tell yourself at rep 12 that, hey, now you got 21. Oh, man, I don't want to do this 20 <laughs> rep squats anymore. You know, it's like way different. But yeah, yeah. Man, you got to take one. those reps one rep at a time. Yeah, you got to be like, oh, you know, I'm not gonna, maybe I'm not gonna make it 20, but I'm gonna make it to 13. You get to 13, you go. Yeah, I'm it. gonna get 14. I'm gonna get 14. Yeah, I'm gonna get 15. Yeah. Check. Check. All right. Next, Next question. question. I just finished listening to podcast 292 with Admiral Joe McGuire. I couldn't believe his training mission where his team jumped out of a plane into the drink. That's the ocean, right? The drink. Mm-hmm. Only to crawl into an old submerged U-boat. <laughs> Jocko, did you have any crazy training missions like the Admirals? Have you ever encountered a shark while in the SEAL teams? Do you have any members that have had encounters with sharks or even been attacked? Uh, man, I've had some freaking chaos training missions in my day. And and as I look at the chaos training missions, they all have to do with the water. They all have to do with the ocean, 100%, because the ocean's freaking merciless. It. It's a real world op. I used to tell guys this. When you go in the ocean, it's a real world op because the ocean will kill you. Uh, when I first got to the team, the very one of the very first things I did was go out and support submar- submarine operations. And it was total mayhem. A massive storm hit. I was on a flat-bottomed LCU boat that was all over the place. Everyone was getting seasick. I saw the chief of the boat. So there's a chief in charge of this LCU. So this is a salty old chief, you know, with a bosun's anchor tattooed on his, you know, on his hand. <laughs> He's, you know, like Popeye, salty old dog. And I see this dude leaning out of the window of the of this little bridge and he's yakking his guts out. And I was like, oh my God, this is a bad storm. This salty dog's puking. I actually didn't puke till I got down to the engine room to go. There's a, one of the few places that are enclosed on an LCU. And I went down there to waterproof radios. And I'm sitting there breathing diesel fumes. I did that for about 20 minutes. I came up and just heaved all over the place. (laughs) 
and then finally once the we were supporting a platoon that was launching from a submarine and making sure that it was safe well they had issues and i ended up i was out there in the full sea state getting beat down freezing cold rain and i'm do i'm a new guy and i'm doing breath holds down to the deck of this down to the down to the submarine doing breath holds trying to get gear recovered total mayhem get almost got tossed out of a zodiac we we got back to the lcu i'm in a zodiac with one other guy he's the coxswain i'm like holding the bow line and i throw it to the guys on the lcu they quickly tie it off and then the then the lcu gets lifted up out of the water we get like hung i'm hanging on it was total freaking Damn. chaos and mayhem brand new guy um had another another op training op in north carolina massive storm comes in we end up having to carry our boats over these mud flats because the tide went out because the storm delayed us once we get there once we get in one of these inter was interwaterways what are those things called inter intercoastal intercostal intercoastal waterways we're in there sure. there's freaking mosquitoes <laughs> biting through my camouflage uniform <laughs> so that was a good time i had another one where we, we, we had this submarine operations to do in Puerto Rico. And we're planning the operation. And there's a, a an older guy, an experienced guy, who says, hey, Jocko, let me tell you how to plan this thing. He says, the prevailing seas around here are south to north. So drop off south of the target and then get extracted north of the target. That way you'll have the seas with you. I say, awesome. So I come up with a plan. We, you know, we, we create the plan. That's the plan. We're going to you know, get dropped, get launched from a submarine. And then we'll tr- be able to travel north because that's which way the seas are allegedly going to be coming mm-hmm. from. But it was totally wrong. We got our ass beat. First of all, we went on the submarine. The submarine, the, the helicopter we were in was like, hey, can we even get on? The, can you even get on this submarine? It's getting... The, the submarine's just barely sitting on the surface, and we have to fast rope onto the submarine, and they open up the hatch to let us in. Mm-hmm. And the weather was so bad, the the chief of the boat, they got on, and they said, hey, can you guys get on this vessel right now? Mm-hmm. And I had the, oh, I, I was talking to the Hilo crew chief. He's like, hey, because you he can't hear anything. He's like, hey. The chief of the boat says he wants to know if you can get on the boat right now. The freaking seas are horrific. And we're hovering around, like looking at it, and there's waves crashing over it. And I go, I said, tell the chief of the boat if he can open that hatch, we can get on. And he goes, he passes the word. He's like, chief of the boat says they're going to open it. So total mayhem. But, yeah, we were we were going into the seas. That's the other thing with with sub submarine operations is you only have a thirty five horsepower boat uh, motor, and so we're just like getting our ass beat for hours. So yeah, a bunch of times when you're out working the ocean, you're gonna get your ass handed to you. I had many, many, many operations like that. Probably nothing as bad as Admiral Joe McGuire in the freaking U boat. Nothing as bad as that, but definitely had some mayhem going on. Sharks. When I was going through buds. They brought us down to this pier at San Clemente Island to launch on a three and a half nautical mile swim. And when we went down there, there were sharks in the water that we could visibly see. Mm. And the instructors were like, all right, line it up. And I'm like, check. <laughs> and I just get to the end of the steel pier. And there, and I rem- we had like uh, these two instructors that were, were really cool, but they were both from wherever in the south. And one of them looks at me and goes, all right, Jocko, you ready to go? And I'm like, Roger that or whatever. And he's like looking at me, waiting for me to go, hell no, because we can see sharks, bro. (laughs) And he goes, we're just kidding. We can't put you out there with all them sharks. I was like, okay. (laughs) That tells you how freaking stupid I am. Uh, But other than that, you know, most of the time when you're diving, you're diving at night. You can't see anything anyways. So even if there's sharks out there, you wouldn't be able to see them. I saw a barracuda one time during a day dive. Uh, The last time a seal was, or maybe the only time a seal or a UDT, underwater demolition team guy, was killed by a shark was in 1963. Uh, there's also a, an Australian Navy diver that was attacked by a shark. His name is Paul de Gelder. I, I've, I've like had some intermittent calms with him, but maybe we can come on the podcast at some point. But yeah, sharks are out there. 
but you don't. I, I never saw him, and uh, haven't heard too much. Uh, other guys, you know, you might see a shark, but sitting off the coast of Somalia, this was interesting. We were getting ready to go into Somalia, and there is a plant where they killed animals of some kind, goats or something, and there was just mm. blood pouring out into the mm. bay, and so there was just sharks. Mm. Like that you could visibly see yeah. and what do we say check? <laughs> you know, we're Especially those dry years where there's no you don't you're just well, praying for some kind of an operation And if there's sharks, so be it, bro. Yeah, that's yeah, what's well, happening. That's, uh, yeah, I got a knife <laughs> got a k-bar What what um, where was that where, where you were about to go in there? Like we can't put you in there with those sharks. Where was that again? San Clemente Island? Because it depends on what kind of shark, right? Because there's like a bunch of different kinds of shark, but yeah. like the three main ones are the great white tiger shark and like bull, bull shark. shark. Yeah. 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 But if it's like a, I don't know, blue shark or whatever, yeah. it's kind of like. Harsh. There's other sharks that aren't scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These motherfuckers look scary. To bro. me, all sharks look scary. <laughs> yeah. like, These ones look scary. Yeah. That They were scary enough where I was like, bro, I guess this is it. <laughs> it's the kind you see on the on the diagram, you know, for that, danger. Those that sharks. attitude, though, of like, hey. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go swim with these freaking sharks right now. That's what we're doing. Like that was a legit attitude that a bunch of the guys that make it through that kind of training have that attitude. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and it, and it kind of makes sense because eventually you're going to be going into a combat situation yeah. where it's like, yeah, those aren't sharks. These are worse than sharks. These are other people with weapons that are trying to kill you. Yeah, worse than That's sharks. way worse than a shark. Yeah. So. Yeah, the... Australia and I guess South Africa, that's the main spots oh, where you can sure. get jammed up by sharks. Australia, if you're a surfer in Australia, from what I from what I kind of I don't even know if this same, is just my own same, same. like fantasy, but like <laughs> like sure. or my own made up thing yeah. is that you just gotta like sharks just kinda part of it. Like you're probably gonna get attacked in your life. Yeah. By a shark. I've surfed in Australia. And I wasn't really thinking about it. I was like, whatever. Bro, I'm like that the opposite. I go somewhere where there probably literally has never been sharks. I'm like, shoot, these are sharks. <laughs> I just never know. I think I'm I'm uh, stupid when it comes to sharks. I just have no fear of sharks. That makes sense. No, no, I mean, let me rephrase it. I'm afraid of sharks, obviously, but yeah. I don't think that one's going to be around me like when I'm surfing. I don't yeah, think about yeah. sharks at all. Yeah. Some people are like, you, you ever think about I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah. So one day I'm probably going to get eaten. So you're not really in tune with like the statistics. Because if you're in tune with the statistics, it's like there's no reason to be really that scared of sharks. Yeah. But still, you know, bro, you can't see under the water. Hey, man, there's a uh, triathlete got killed up in right up at Cardiff, you know, a few yeah. years ago. I surfed Cardiff a lot in my day. Yeah. And a freaking great white came and bit a guy's leg off and he bled out. Yeah. Like that's right here. Yeah, but yeah. then on top of that, you 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 compare it to how, how many people total. Oh yeah, have, it's like very minuscule. It's like very more minuscule. people have died doing a bunch of weird other but stuff. But if you know? you're a person that's surfing all the time and you're in the water all the time, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Huh? Put that yeah. into the equation. Yeah, I guess like they like the. Um, this is what I heard. I'm no shark expert. Mm -hmm. But like they think you're a seal is what they say. Oh they're yeah, hundred percent. When they look up, they see the two legs and the arms yep. and look the, like the flippers. Body. Yep. And they're like, let me go they're see what up. You. Yeah. And then I guess when they bite again, what I heard, they don't like it. Yeah, they're not trying to eat the whole thing. They're just it's almost like a smelling mechanism, almost kind of thing, like yeah. a taste. Like let me see what up, and then yeah. boom, there's like eh, human yeah. leg, whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy no more leg. You know. There's this girl in Hawaii. Um, I can't remember her name actually, but she's like a free diver. Mm -hmm. She's one of those people who goes down and spear fishes and she goes like 100, 120 feet down yep. for like eight or nine minutes at a time. Crazy. Crazy. Awesome. And so she spends so much time down there. Hunt, I mean, she like hunts fish. She has a spear gun, right? That sometimes sharks will come up and try to like take her catch after she got it. But over the years, she's like kind of learned how to deal with them, you know, where these are creatures in nature. They can respond to signals from other creatures and you're a you're a pretty big animal. You're like a piece of megafauna with a spear gun, and you can actually deal with them like a little bit on a social level. Mm. Now, it's not, that's not going to work, you know, mm. if an 18-foot tiger shark rolls up and is like, yeah, that's nice, yeah, yeah. Chica. But, it's on. Yeah, but like, you know, she talks about how she's kind of learned to deal with these animals. Yeah. You know, pretty cool. Yeah, and the thing that you always got to remember is like, cool, but, but like, mm -hmm. If one of those things just decides to go haywire on you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's I, I don't feel like same with dogs, right? Like you can be super comfortable with a dog, even like your own personal family dog, but you can't put one hundred percent trust in in an animal because yeah. yeah. they are animals. Yeah. And so thinking that hey, you know, I'm probably good. Remember that movie Grizzly Man? Yeah. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, Echo Charles. Yeah. 
this guy, it's, it's a documentary, but this guy just thinks he's good to go with bears. Like, mm. And so he goes out and hangs out with them and pets them. Yeah. Grizzly bears, bro. And I mean, eventually he just gets annihilated and his girlfriend gets annihilated by these bears because you can probably get away with a lot, right? Yeah. Well, you can get away with, you. there's a good chance you can get away with more than you think you can. Yeah. But when a freaking grizzly bear goes ham, yeah. No it only needs to go ham one time. Yeah, it's like it, yeah, like a couple of my favorite dogs that I've known that people have had are, have been pit bulls. They're freaking great dogs. People who have them absolutely love them. But like my two sisters got, you know, they were like little kids, three, four years old, and they reached into a dog's bowl and they got attacked. Right. <laughs> one of them was like this sweet little black lab. The other was this nice little cocker spaniel. That was just we knew them our whole lives. Sweet, sweetest little dogs, but. These are animals, and they got triggers. And I always worry, like a pit bull goes off on your three-year-old. That's I mean, a problem. That, yeah, you're not talking about scars. You might be talking about something worse. You know, think about like, remember what happened to the Siegfried and Roy guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They say that the tiger was like trying to protect him or something. Like it wasn't even trying to attack him, but a tiger decides it's gonna do anything <laughs> to you. Like then you got real problems, right? Yeah, I know. I, you know, I have a dog, and my dog is a big giant, hundred and. Hmm. 1520 pound it's the biggest shepherd German shepherd seen. yeah it's a he's, he's a monster but you know when there's kids around I have to be like you know yeah I don't I don't and he he I've never seen him do anything he's always he plays with them but you gotta be careful yeah. you gotta be careful because it's a good move man yeah because you know how it's like almost like a joke almost where if the, the owners of the dog is like they have this very specific idea about their dogs, oh, he would never do anything, no. you know. And they like if you're like sketch because you don't know him, he's like, oh, he's not gonna do nothing, you know. Like, oh, kind of like you're scared or whatever. Yeah. But I went to my dad's house. My dad has a big pit bull too, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, it's a girl. And we go there, and it's the kind. It was kind of young when he first got it. So I went, and my daughter was like three, I think, at the time when when we first saw it, something like that. So she's a little teeny tiny girl. And this pitbull is still kind of energetic. It's not like, you know, the kind of like pitbulls that are super tame and you kind of can feel it's a little flow or whatever. This was like energetic. And I was like, sketch, man. And my dad was like, he didn't care. He was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because he knew or he was very confident about the dog's attitude or whatever. But, bro, I don't no. that dog. No. Like freaking. No. Yeah. And just like I said, you never know. Like even if it's one in a million. Dude, I mean, think about it. My dog has been with my family my whole life and it is well-trained. It's awesomely trained. Like you've seen it. Like yeah. it does what I tell it to do. Like I am God. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to let him sit there and like without supervision be around your daughter for sure. Because yeah. I mean, obviously more comfortable with my kids. But n- yeah, you got to yeah. you got to be careful. They're they're animals. Yeah. They're animals. That's a good so, approach. I there think. you go. All right. Next question. I'm 51. And a jujitsu black belt. I got my black belt a couple of years ago. A few months afterward, I tore my pec, my pectoral main tendon while doing CrossFit. I know, I know. <laughs> I had surgery and I had to take time off. Then COVID happened. And two years later, I'm trying to get back into jujitsu. I'm finding it extremely difficult. The gym I'm going to just fu- is full of beasts on the mat. The majority of them are 20-something Brazilians who go, who go 100% all the time. They see a black belt and, ass- and assume I have some special powers or something, but I don't, especially now that I have so much time off or especially now that I've had so much time off. My body is taking a beating in recent sessions. I'm at the point where I just think I'm, it might be better just to walk away from it. I want to be healthy and I love jujitsu. I just don't want to get injured again and put my wife through that again. We fought about it, about my starting again. She keeps telling me that I'm too old. I'm starting to think she might be right. Please share your wisdom. Uh, I have three topics here. Three recommendations. New attitude. (laughs) New training partners. Possibly new school. I thought you were going to say new wife. (laughs) (laughs) The the wife's correct, I think. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you have to have a different attitude, right? That. You're going in there, you are looking to train, you're looking to maybe not roll as much as you would want to, maybe not roll with everybody. You have to have the humility to be like, hey, you know what, dude? I'm not rolling with you. Yeah. Um, you're big, strong, I'm old and not as strong, and I don't need, I don't need it, I don't need to roll with you. I, I'm here to be technical, I'm here to learn, I'm here to continue and maintain my skill set. 
but I'm not here to get in level seven freaking berserker rolls. So no, I'm not rolling with you. Yeah. I'm not rolling with you either. And I'm not rolling with you. I'm gonna roll with this purple belt that's 125 pounds, that's super technical, that is chill. And that's who I'm gonna roll with. Oh, by the way, a 125 pound purple belt is not necessarily chill. They might be a cycle themselves. Right. But you're gonna figure out who your good training partners are and just just stay with the right training partners. Now, and that has a lot to do with your attitude, your ego. Yeah. To be able to say, hey, I'm not, yep, I don't, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not rolling like that. We, I have got some people, we've got some people here that are older and they have found the perfect way to train at an older level. Um, you know, when I look at the trade-off of, hey, being able to roll ultra level 12 hard, but now I'm at a huge risk of getting injured, I don't, I don't wanna get injured, man. Mm-hmm. I don't wanna be injured. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can you mitigate that as well? Like, how often are you doing stand-up? If you're doing takedowns, injury percentage is going way up. Yeah. Um, even if you're really good at, you know, your break falls, I don't care. So what part of your game can you say, you know what, I don't need to train that as much. Should you never do takedowns? No, but maybe you do takedowns in a more controlled environment and you do live takedowns less often. Now you could say, well, if I do live takedowns less often, then I'm going to be more ample to hurt when I do do them. Well, that's why you have control. That's why you do maybe do more situational type stuff. So you still maintain the skills, but you don't put yourself at risk. Uh, And just having that adjusted attitude of that you're there more to maintain your skill set, learn, but maybe you're gonna sacrifice some of your live rolling and your competitive nature in order to get there. And if that, you know, I, I have new school in here possibly, maybe the school that you're at doesn't, that's not the vibe. The vibe is Shark Tank. And if you get in the tank, the sharks are coming. So you may need to find a school where there's a little bit more of a mature crew, people that understand, you know, we got groups here. We got cliques, I would say, at Victory. Cliques of people that, hey, man, I'm not not competing. I'm a black belt. I'm not competing. I I don't want to get hurt because my job depends on this. Or I've had an injury here and I can't risk that again. Okay. And we all, you know, these people and their click know that. And so they're not going to heel hook their right leg. You know, I mean, I rolled Dean like Dean knows every injury that I have. He'll be like, or he tells me, hey, be careful over here. Mm -hmm. So new attitude, new training partners in the school. And if needed, possibly even a new school, man, I wouldn't just surrender. I wouldn't surrender. I wouldn't recommend abandoning jujitsu. Oh, yeah, not doing it at all. Yeah, not doing it at all. I would not recommend that because it's a great skill to have. You will find that over time you will start to get back to where you were. And maybe you do start rolling harder again. And maybe you don't mind jumping in with the purple and brown belts and and maybe even jumping in some of those competition classes now that you know Fred and Fred is understands where you're at and just wants to do some drills. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say don't abandon jujitsu. Um, and I think if you brief your wife on this stuff, she will understand that you're going to take precautions and also that you love jujitsu and you're going to keep doing it. Yeah, this is a Brad. This is all real. All this part, like all the way down to his wife not really being down for it. Because mm. come on, let's face it. As a wife, you don't see the benefits of his jujitsu. I mean, maybe if his personality is like way different, you know, that can be a thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you know, there's a bunch of ways to work out. Like your wife does not see the value in jujitsu if she's not into jujitsu, or if you didn't thoroughly explain it to her over the years, whatever. How long you've been doing it? So that part is all real. And. The, and it, it's hard to admit right off the bat, but when you think about it more and more, switching gyms, I think, is probably, like, kind of the move. Mm. Because we, we all know the situation, and this can go for anybody, depending on what kind of training that you like or whatever. Like, you've been as a black belt. You probably came to the gym before, unless, I mean, you set up training a lot of times. But mm. let's say you didn't set up training with training partners. You just came in with a class or whatever, and then it's all small white belts. You're going to get a very specific kind of training. What if you come again? Again, it's all small white belts, maybe just a lot of beginner people. You're going to get a specific type of training that you have less control over. 
Now it's the opposite where it's like you have all these guys who are hungry and more athletic and all this stuff, and they're going to essentially put you at risk. Sure, you could tell them. You could tell them mm-hmm. for sure. Yep. But it's up that to them. so far. That, and, it, and not very far, to be honest with you, because <laughs> especially, especially now you're a black belt. Mm-hmm. And they have the potential of tapping you out. That's real. Like, and it takes a very mature person. It's kind of rare, actually. <laughs> it takes a mature person to be able to roll with a black belt, smell blood, be able to tap them out. In training, by the way, which is not supposed to be a big deal, but you got to be pretty mature for that to be the case. So anyway, you get these guys who are hungry. They get the potential to train and Win against a black belt in training, bro, they're going for that it's thing. It's on. It's on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's real. That's a real thing. I'm not saying everyone's like that, but I'm saying that's a real thing, and this guy got to contend with. Then you add the injury, bro. Any injury, especially a significant one, freaking a pec tear that's big. I, I freaking, yeah, tendon tears. It's like you literally, like your brain doesn't want you to go hard at all. Otherwise, you're going to tear that thing again. That's what it thinks anyway. So now you put all that stuff together, man. It's like... <laughs> Uh, you might want to just look for a better, a different gym, more accommodating. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't sound like he's particularly close to all the people in there because if he was, he could say to them, yep. like, hey, here's the deal. And yeah. Respond yeah. to that. So, yeah. yeah. And that would be the move right there. Yeah. I mean, to, to begin with. That's the, one of the great things about jujitsu, right, is like a good training partner. Like part of it is this like nonverbal conversation where you're kind of working out how hard the other person wants to yeah. go. So mm-hmm. one of the things I love about going with you is, you know, you got 50 pounds on me, whatever, and – like, you'll sort of let me dictate uh, how hard we're going to go. And so, like, if I try to use you, like, you won't use your strength to overwhelm me. But if I try to use strength, then you'll just up it to, like, 10% more than that. And just sort of, like, let me dictate if we're going to, all right, if we're going to bang heads, then, like, I'll keep it 10% above the level you can deal with. But, you know, you don't, like, uh, yeah, you kind of let me lead the dance in that sense a lot easier. Yeah. And that part comes with experience, and this guy probably knows about that. But what if you were bigger than me? And you didn't really know me, so that sense of competition, usually, which yeah. it usually is, not yeah. all the time, but usually it gets a little bit elevated, you know, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you want to come after my that black belt, like being able to tap, tap out a black belt or whatever. It's like I have way less control now yeah. over this whole situation. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, ideally, that's that's why you do, just like you said, like if you can get some people to have a little relationship with where it's like, yeah, you tap me. Yeah, you're a brown belt or purple belt and you tapped out me, the black belt. It's not a big deal. We know each other. We're training and we kind of we're familiar. We're familiar. Yeah, uh, hey, I'm 51 years old. I just got done with a pec surgery. I've been out of the game for two years. You got me. Cool. We get yeah. it. You know, yeah. don't you don't have to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I got to be I got to be put my ego in check enough to be like, yeah, dude, I haven't been training for two years. I had a pec tear. Yeah. I'm 51. Yeah. I got tapped out. Cool. Roger that. Let's go again. You, know, you Don't and, hurt me. And imagine what he, this guy could be dealing with, given what he indicated here, where now the reality could be where now he goes into train. He trains with one of the many guys who are just down, down for the 100% roll. Mm-hmm. Let's say they tap him out. He doesn't get injured. They tap him out. Someone else sees him. But, ooh, 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 I can do that too. So now they, you know, they more people start coming out yeah. of the woodwork with that attitude. Specifically, yeah. by the way, so there's it's like, a man, line. That's a, a contention. That might might not be all that good. New training partner, new attitude, possibly new school. Get some. Then explain to your wife, hey, we're going, we're going easy. You know, mm-hmm. then she'll be accepting. Next question. I'm currently taking the New York State EMT course in my town, and I love it. One aspect of the class is I need a certain amount of ride-along hours with the actual EMT unit. On my first ride-along, on more than one occasion, I just froze. I feel like I couldn't operate and do the things I know I can do based on what we learned in class. This frustrates me. I know the material, but in the field, I hesitate and second-guess myself. Is this newbie nervousness? How do I overcome freezing in the field? Thank you for your time. Uh, yes, that is newbie nervousness. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. You are not used to these stressful situations. And the, what you learned in the classroom, while while you might learn it and you may know it, it doesn't necessarily translate to how you are going to utilize what you've learned in a pressure situation. So uh, just, just a couple things. And I think, yeah, how do you overcome it? You overcome it by doing it. You overcome by getting out there. But we don't want to have to learn, you know, learn how to play guitar in front of a real audience, right? <laughs> open mic night. Like, that's not our goal. We, we want to actually learn and be ready when we get out there. So one of the steps that you can take is knowing that your nervousness 
is okay. That when you get out there and you get nervous, that's okay. That's a normal feeling for people to have in pressure situations. You're dealing with someone's life. You're dealing with blood and shock and horror. And it's it's normal to be nervous in those scenarios. So that's okay. That's the same. I've had that conversation with new guys for combat operations. You could see some guys would be wicked nervous. And what they were most nervous about was the fact that they were nervous. They're not used to that feeling. You take a young seal that's been through buds, ready to roll, ready to best do you know, best training in the world, and all of a sudden he feels nervous. And he's like, what, what's going on? I never felt this way before. Why am I so freaked out? So you go, hey, you, you feel nervous? And they'd be like, no. Be like, yeah, I can tell that you're nervous. You went to the bathroom four times in the last 25 minutes. So here's the deal. What you're feeling right now is okay. We're, you're, you're supposed to be nervous, we're supposed to be nervous, that's gonna sharpen our senses, that means your body and your mind are getting ready for combat, so that's okay. No, the other thing that's gonna help is knowing that you have a tendency to freeze up and start recognizing what those signs look like and then it's just the standard answer of learn to detach, take a step back, take a breath, don't get tunnel vision. When you focus narrowly on something, your mind sends the rest of your body into a fight or flight mode. And you can't run away because your job is to stay there. So you just get in this fight mode where you're too focused and you freeze up. Actually, sorry, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And it sounds like you're going into freeze mode. So recognize that when you start to feel that thing come and take a step back, take a breath, that's what is going to get you through this. I would volunteer, volunteer to go out as often as you can with EMTs, especially in situations where you're not working. So you go, hey, listen, I want to do a ride along. I want to do a ride along. I want to do a ride along. You go start going on ride alongs. So you don't have to do anything, but you get used to it. You don't have to perform, but you get their watch. Maybe you can hold an IV bag. Maybe you can pass someone some tools, but you're not doing the stuff. And as you see that stuff more and more, you'll get more and more used to it. Get some reps in. What do you think about, like, uh, you, know, you say don't get tunnel vision, but one of the things that I was thinking that would be a good tactic, and it works for me in situations like that, is to, well, it comes back to the beginning, you said prioritize and execute, right? Instead of going into it thinking like, okay, my job right now is to be a great EMT. Well, that's a little broad and it's a little vague. Instead, zeroing in on my job right now is not to be a great EMT. My job is to prep this guy for an IV. Mm-hmm. That's my job. And you know how to do that. Like that's an easy thing that you've done a hundred times. Is that tunnel vision or is that like, um, you know what I'm saying? No, I think that's what, what that is, is prioritizing and executing. But in order to get there, in order to get to that point, you got to take a step back and say, oh, there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't know what to do. Okay, take a step back, detach. All right, what do I need to do? Prep this guy for an IV. That I can do. I know I can't simultaneously you know, put a tourniquet on that leg over there, start to address this little kid over here. I can't, you know, put the flares out on the road. I can't do all these things at once. What I can do is prep this guy for an IV. And that's what I've been asked to do by the senior guy. So I'm gonna prep this guy for an IV. That's what I'm gonna do. Where we get overwhelmed is we we should focus on prepping for the IV, We but we see all these other things happen so we don't, don't do anything. Um, so I, I would say, yes, you are correct, but it's hard to get to that, it's hard to jump that yeah. intermediate step. It, and we also have to watch out for target fixation because even with that scenario I just randomly made up off the top of my head, like should you really be prepping for someone an IV, for an IV if they need a tourniquet? No, you should be getting the tourniquet on them. <laughs> should you be putting a tourniquet on if there's like other vehicles heading your way or should you like move to a safe area? Well, depending on where that tourniquet's needed, Maybe you should get to a safe area or get some flares out. Or, oh, you've got a kid that you haven't even looked at yet. Well, maybe you should look at that kid and make sure that you're triaging correctly. So, yeah, I think that's a good idea and, and a good thing to do. So, okay, there's all this stuff going on. I'm going to prioritize next year. Here's the one thing that I need to take a look at. Here's the biggest problem I've got. This guy needs an IV. I'm going to start prepping for the IV. That, that I can do. It's, it seems to carry over into like really like a lot more mundane situations too. Like a few years ago, actually seven, two or three times where I've had like a, a relative pass away and I travel there and I, you know, get there a week before the funeral or whatever. And he's got like, you know, maybe like an uncle with adult kids or brothers and sisters. And 
I end up being the one who kind of takes charge and like prepares the funeral and communicates with everybody, which is not really my job if he's got grown kids or anything. But you, what happened to them is they just get into this mode of like, totally. it's just so overwhelming. Like yeah. they don't know how to plan a funeral. They don't know any of that. But all it is is a list of tasks, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Last question. Hi, Jocko and Echo in D.C. Longtime listener, first time contributor here. Been listening since day one and has been has a pro, it has had a profound positive impact on my life. So I thank you both and your guests for that. Would you be willing to share your thoughts on vaccine passports and civilian employer COVID vaccine mandates? Uh, sure. So what's that? Share your thoughts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I guess maybe this question came in before the last time I was on Rogan and I talked about this. Uh, imposing things on people is not a good move. It's not a good move even if you're very confident that you're doing the right thing. I'll go a step further. Even if you are 100% sure that something is the right thing to do, even then, it is not a good move as a leader to impose your plan or your method or your will on other human beings. And I always throw this in there, especially Americans, especially Americans. But so what we have with the vaccine passports and the vaccine mandates and the COVID masks and the whole nine yards is we have the imposition of things that people aren't really 100% sure of. Uh, And we've, you know, this has been identified in a bunch of different ways. Um, But when you don't, when you say something that you're not sure of, and you act like you're sure of it, you're really, you're really hurting the trust that you have with, with your people. And that could be your peers, it could be your superiors, it could be your subordinates, anyone, any other human being. When you act like you know something and you don't, that's not good. And they're gonna see that. And it doesn't really matter, you know, you could say, well, you know, you look at the numbers, blah, blah, blah. When you impose things, people don't care about the numbers. They don't care about, they literally don't care about the facts. Mm -hmm. What is it? Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings, right? That's what he says. Well, feelings don't care about facts. Mm -hmm. Did I just make that up? Feelings don't care about facts. So if I'm a little bit nervous because I saw a news story that the vaccine had some negative impact and killed somebody, and then you say, yeah, but that's just a number. You need to be quiet and take it. I'm not going to be happy about that. It's not a good thing to impose on people. Here's the other thing. As a leader, if I can't articulate pro- articulate properly so that by the time I get done talking to you, Echo, you know, you say, hey, you know what, Jocko? That sounds like a good plan. I'm going to go ahead and execute that. Then maybe I need to reconsider what I'm trying to impose on you. Because if I can't explain to you, say, hey, Echo, Here's the facts. Here's why I think this is the best thing to do. Here's some of the drawbacks that could that you could face, but I still think that it's worth it because of these other situations that are going on here. But it's your call. And you go, no, I don't like it. Okay. But but wait, I, I, maybe I didn't emphasize this long enough here or strong enough. Here's another fact. Here's another thing to think about. And you go, yeah, I still don't like it. So then you know what I do? Well, shut up. I'm making you do it. Now what kind of reaction am mm-hmm. I going to get? If I have so much trouble convincing, that's one of the most bizarre things about this whole situation, right? Is you would think if we had this terrible virus that was killing people, the lines for the vaccine would be around the block. And instead, we got people saying, oh, well, I, you know, people saying, I don't know anyone that's had it. I don't know anyone that's died from it. I don't know, really know anyone that's been sick. So now you're telling me I got to get this vaccine and I have heard that people have died from it. So what's the way, what, what are we doing? Well, you know what? Shut up and do it. Mm-hmm. So to answer the question, I don't think, and look, I'm not going to sit here and debate about the, <laughs> the facts and the science because the facts and the science change and this, they've changed this whole time. 
They've changed this whole time. Everything from wearing masks to not wearing masks to how effective this vaccine, that vaccine is, to how much, what the risks are to this vaccine, that vaccine. All these things are debatable and you can debate them all day long and I don't care. The question is, how do I feel about imposing on human beings? My answer is, I don't think it's a good thing to do and I don't think it's the right thing to do. And if I was in a leadership position, I wouldn't do it. Pretty straightforward. That was funny how you said uh, it was at the muster. I think when you're like, like no food tastes good if you're shoving it down someone's throat. No food tastes like, good when it's being shoved down your throat. No, right? Even no if, food. Yeah, it not, could be your favorite food. Not tiramisu. <laughs> <laughs> tiramisu. Right? Huh? You tiramisu like that is one? good. That's your jam. Not mint chocolate chip ice cream. If I shove mint chocolate chip ice cream down your throat, yep. you don't like it, bro. It's so true, bro. And I know it's just a metaphor, but it's perfect because, yeah, like the mint chocolate chip, what's the ideal thing? You got to be in the mood for it, right? Mm. After some steak in your case. And then, you know, you want to reach for that one. You want to shovel the perfect amount. You see what I'm saying? Not shove down somebody's throat. And I, you know what I think, which I think you might even have said this before, where if with this, the vaccine and and all these mandates or whatever, if, if they weren't imposed, I know some people can't really speak for myself i guess in this but i know some people who would probably have got gotten the vaccine Mm -hmm. when now they haven't or whatever because it was like the force like a government freaking force but they probably would have if they just like listen and be like if if they were like oh yeah here's it's finally available and like all this stuff and cool okay cool let me go get that one yeah i don't know if they could have done a worse job (laughs) the vaccine. i really don't I really don't. A big part of it would be having a mea culpa about a lot of that stuff. You know, come out and say, um, look, the vice president and the president uh, should not have said don't take the vaccine back when they were running in 2020. Right. They should not have said that. Here's what was going on, why they thought that, et cetera. But like that was a mistake. Um, We told you some things like, you know, uh, we told you masks don't work early on because uh, we didn't want you to go buy all the masks. That was a public health decision we made because we had limited resources. Not sure that was the right decision, but this was our thinking on it, and maybe we shouldn't have done that. There's just not, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in our political environments, it makes it very difficult to do anything like that, but yeah, really no one, necessary. N- no one takes ownership of anything. And, and, and I don't even mean, that almost sounds like uh, a little bit cheesy, like take ownership, but just to stand up and say, hey, listen, I, I was wrong about this. Mm-hmm. I was wrong about the way this happened. The information that we put out was wrong. And here's the, here's the new information as it sits. And we're making these adjustments to our plan based on the new information that's out there. Mm-hmm. We will, there's going to be more adjustments because I don't know everything. Everyone says, hey, cool. It sounds like he's at least got an open mind and thinking about it. What did we have? We have politicians on both sides just sticking to their guns. Yeah. Right now they got kids wearing masks in school. It's yeah. insane to me. Yeah. Like there's been no, have any kids died? Uh, <laughs> from Omicron or whatever. <laughs> so let's not get crazy. Let's not impose things. It's not a good idea. Yep. And anyways, that's it. Thanks for uh, supporting the cause on the underground. You know why we're here? Because we got people getting banned. We got <laughs> podcasts getting taken down all over the place. We appreciate y'all being here and supporting the cause. Jockofuel.com, originusa.com, echelonfront.com. Don't forget about DC. Daryl Cooper's got his sub stack. You want to check that out as well. There you go. On the interwebs, I'm at I'm at Jocko Willink. Echo's at Echo Charles. DC's at Murder Made. Thanks for uh, supporting. And we'll see you next time here on the Underground. Until next time, Echo, Jocko, and DC out. <laughs>